0: Today on the Rising Coaches Podcast.
1: Um, that was I felt really lucky as part of my job to be able to go in there and watch him kind of at work, if that makes sense. Kind of watch him recruit. Yeah, and I was just sitting there. I didn't say a word, right? I'm just here to take these guys when they're supposed to leave, bring them there. Um, but it was really fun to watch him because he's, he's incredible at it. He does a really great job.
0: Today's podcast is brought to you by the Rising Coaches Association, the biggest coaching tree in all of basketball. Sign up for the Rising Coaches Association now for just $120 a year and become part of our community, relationships, and development. We talk about it all the time. There's no straight lines in this profession. There's only ups and downs. You need a community that knows exactly what you're going through and has been there before to help lean on during the rough times of the industry. You need genuine relationships, not just exchanging numbers, not just meeting new people, Uh, at the final four in the off season. You should be doing it all year round and we provide tremendous opportunities to create those genuine relationships all through the year. And finally, development. We have so much content and so many resources so that you can work on your craft and become a better coach. Because we put such a premium and an emphasis on helping you establish new genuine relationships, it takes all of the political BS side of the business out of the equation for you. All of that gets removed off of your plate. You can just worry about being you, making new friends in the business, and working on your craft and becoming the best coach that you can be and impacting the people that you're around on a daily basis. For more information, visit risingcoaches.com slash membership on risingcoaches.com. Okay, welcome to the Rising Coaches podcast uh, presented by HD Intelligence. Uh, one of our partners. And today, just coincidentally, we are joined by Colton Houston, uh, co-founder of HD Intelligence. Uh, Colton, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Adam, I'm doing awesome. Uh, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's it's good to talk to you. And uh, man, we go way back. I don't know how we met exactly. Um, but we we go back to the to the ops days, I guess, probably through the SEC when I was at Mississippi State and you were at Alabama. We may have known each other before that, actually. Uh,
1: yeah. W- where were you before Mississippi State? Because I think I met you right before you came there.
0: I was at Northern Colorado for a year and then Clemson for three years before that. Um, my so- first recollection of getting to know you is through rising
1: coaches, probably at that Either the first conference I went to, which would have been 2010, uh, or actually that might have been 2011, actually, the first conference I went to, or maybe at a Final Four party that year. Yeah.
0: Yeah. One of the first, that was the second one ever. Uh, Very cool.
1: Yeah. I got in maybe not quite on the ground floor, but I was an early adopter to the coach's life for sure.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And I always kind of knew you like we were both uh, very similar timetables. Uh, We were in very similar like, positions in our career and we're kind of coming up through the profession together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't know, uh, that you went to Harvard until like you got out of basketball and started HD intelligence. I never knew that about you. Yeah.
1: I try not to lead every conversation with it.
0: Oh, I absolutely <laughs> would lead every conversation with that. if I went. That's probably why they didn't, they wouldn't let me in. Uh, yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, my background just really quick. So I'm from Alabama. I'm from Birmingham, born and raised and played high school basketball, really wanted to play in college and was a decent high school player. I was recruited by some division three colleges and NAIA schools, things like that. Um, and I almost went and played. I would, I think it would have been a lot of fun and would have had a great experience, but Harvard was my dream school. And I visited once and, you know, just in my mind and, you know, in reality, that's where I wanted to go. and. Um, got in and I really it really was a decision because I was considering going playing basketball had a scholarship you know academic scholarships a few places but um couldn't turn couldn't turn Harvard down so went up there and uh loved it loved every minute of it do not regret that decision even in the slightest and uh I got to play this is kind of a funny thing because it's like a relic of the past I got to play JV basketball at Harvard they were one of the last uh, I guess, colleges to hold on to their JV program, which no longer exists there. They have since done away with it. And this was pre-Tommy Amaker. Uh, Frank Sullivan was the head coach, but I played JV basketball there. And I would say it was equivalent to playing like a division three level in terms of competition. Um, so didn't really play college basketball. I, I got to put on the jersey. I got to play a few games against, you know, Bunker Hill Community College and Tufts University and a few a few other schools. But. Uh, but yeah, it was a great three years, and I, I'm not sure how it prepared me for my current profession, but uh, but I certainly enjoyed it very much.
0: Well, absolutely prepared you, right? Because you met your, and we'll get into this later, but didn't you meet your co-founder there? Yeah,
1: I did not, actually. So um, I know we're going to talk about probably HDI later. So my partner is a guy named Matt Dover, who is a data scientist who's brilliant. And it's funny, we have a lot in common. Matt's from Alabama. Matt got his master's degree at Harvard. Uh, but we never crossed paths. We never met up there. And I didn't meet Matt until I was already working at Alabama, uh, actually uh, working for Avery Johnson about four years ago when Matt and I first met. We just happened to have that in common.
0: I got you. Um, So how did you get into coaching? Like, I I don't think I know that story. Yeah. um,
1: I honestly, I caught the coaching bug while I was still in college. Uh, I come from a basketball family. So my dad, played in college. My brother played in college. You know, my grandfather was an all state player. I'm probably the worst of the bunch, but my younger brother was coming up through kind of the AAU um, circuit in his kind of middle school and high school years while I was in college. And my dad and I would coach his teams in the summer. And uh, I loved, loved doing that. It's one of the reasons I would come home two of my three summers in college. I didn't go, I came home so I could help dad coach his team and go to AAU nationals down at Disney and the whole deal. And um, I just fell in love with coaching to just, I don't know how else to put it and really wanted when I graduated to find a job where I could teach and coach. And so my first job out of college was at um, a boarding school called Christ School, which is in Asheville, North Carolina. They're a big time basketball program. And I got a job teaching. I was teaching Spanish and government, which government had been my major in college and helped coach basketball and did that for a couple of years. Loved it. Um, Left there moved back to Birmingham to go to grad school and get a master's in divinity. And this is where my path gets really funky and did a three-year degree at Samford university, but kept coaching and staying involved as much as I could kind of on the side, whether that was working camps or coaching youth basketball. And uh, really during that three years realized how much I missed coaching and decided you know, after a lot of thought and prayer. And I I got married during that period of my life. So now, you know, my wife was part of the decision-making process as well, really decided I wanted to coach at the college level if I could. And so without a lot of contacts or, you know, experience other than coaching high school a couple years, I sort of set out to see if I could break into the college game. And looking back on it, I was really naive. And that was probably a good thing for me because I didn't know what I didn't know. And I just thought, hey, if I make enough phone calls and if I write enough notes you know, I'll get an opportunity somewhere. And so after plenty of letter writing and emailing and phone calls and driving to meet with folks, I uh, ended up getting an opportunity of all places at Alabama, which is the school i had grown up, you know, cheering for. My dad went there and uh, ended up getting a spot on Anthony Grant's staff back in 2010, his second year there uh, as a volunteer. So I, I, my first year there at Alabama, I volunteered and, you know, to tie this back into the rising coaches stuff, Adam, one of the things that I credit with being able to stick around at Alabama and move from a volunteer role into a full time role over the course of about two years there was going to y'all's um, conferences in Vegas those two years and hearing the different coaches come through and talk about because we had a lot of head coaches, a lot of really successful assistants come through and, and basically give us advice on how to stick in this profession, how to climb the ladder and um, That was really helpful. So a lot of that stuff stuck with me and I was able to go from a volunteer role to they gave me a GA stipend my second year, which I thought was a lot of money at the time. Looking back, it wasn't very much money. And then finally, by year three, I was
0: in an operations role. And anyway, uh, ended up staying there for nine years. Awesome. How did your uh, parents feel about you getting a degree uh, at Harvard in government in three years? Did I catch that? did you get your degree in Three three years? three and a half years? Yep. Yeah. That's pretty good. Um, and then go, you go take that and, uh, use it to get a volunteer assistance spot. You know, at- <laughs> they <laughs> never yeah. said a negative word about it. I have really, really awesome
1: parents. Um, just, and in this sense in particular, just incredibly supportive and they, you know, a high sense of belief, very little criticism. So they never said anything about it, to be honest. Um, they of course my dad was really excited because he loves Alabama basketball so when you know if I was going to volunteer you know across the country at some small school he'd never heard of he might have felt differently about it but I think it probably helped that it was it was Alabama
0: but they were super supportive that's awesome um so yeah nine years at one program at the high major level uh is very 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 rare very rare yeah uh, and three different coaches or two different coaches? Two three. coaches.
1: Yeah. Anthony Grant, Avery
0: Johnson. Two coaches. Um, what was that? I mean, what was that experience like? Like I I've been at places for two years and I'm like, oh man, I'm already like bored. I'm worn out. Like not worn out. it just like, I need something new. I need a new challenge. I need a change of scenery. I need a new staff. You were at one place for nine years. Like talk about that.
1: Yeah. No, it's a great question. You know, I I think the way I like to think about it is I was really fortunate to stay in one place because um, I was married. My wife was working. Eventually, you know, we had kids. We have a five-year-old and a three-year-old now. And so that stability was a good thing for us. Um, I would say by the end of my tenure, I was ready for another challenge, ready to do something else. But it it helped. It was very, very painful at the time when Coach Grant was let go and we made a coaching change because – Coach Grant had given me my first opportunity in the profession and had become a close friend and someone who I really respect. But from a growth standpoint, to work for a new coach and a new staff, you know, I tell people a lot. I had the same title. I had the same office. You know, I had the same parking spot. You know, everything was the same, same seat on the bench. But for all intents and purposes, I had a completely new job when we made the coaching change because the new my new boss was very different from my old boss. But from a learning standpoint, that was really good but I would say that the first couple of years, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know I, there. I had a lot to learn. So I spent a lot of, I'd say year one and year two, just kind of watching and learning what kind of big time college basketball looks like and what those coaches do every day from a work standpoint and how you prepare, um, how you recruit, how you run practice. You know, I had not been exposed to that before. So um, I had a lot to learn there. And then, probably about the time where I sort of had felt like I was hitting my stride with that staff and and found my niche within the, the staff there is when, you know, we made a coaching change and I kind of had to start all over with the new staff. Um, So I never felt bored. I never felt like I got to get out of here. Um, You know, up until the end when HDI had become an idea in my head that, you know, we, we wanted to start at some point. So I was thankful I didn't have to move a hundred times. I'll tell you that it was nice.
0: Yeah, I had that experience once with being able to stay on a staff, or I'm sorry, stay at a school with a completely different staff at Clemson, Mm. uh, working for Oliver Purnell, and then getting to stay on uh, with Brad Brownell. And I was a GA, and like GAs are sometimes immune. They're kind of the only immune position at times, them and managers during a change. Uh, But what an experience to get to do that. And you kind of, I don't know, I don't know if it was like this for you, but like, Uh, for me at Clemson I was the only guy that knew you know who to go to when things needed to get done where to find this where you know where you take people on visits so they leaned on me quite a bit more than they probably should have
1: (laughs) well you know I was really fortunate uh, and a few of us were because a few of us got retained you know Avery Johnson is a phenomenal coach he was NBA coach of the year everybody knows who he is from his playing days and coaching the Mavericks whatever but he came from TV and had never coached in college before. So you know that's pretty rare at the college level. So he was not bringing a a staff with him. So he was opened up retaining some of us. So I think, um, I I was retained. Antoine Petway, who's still an assistant there was retained. Alex Fain, video coordinator was retained. Lou Deneen, our strength coach was retained the secretary Brenda Holt, you know, so a lot of us got to stick around. Um, but I'll never forget, you know, the company HDI that, that I founded, you know, that, that I work with now, we do a lot of scheduling work for teams. And this is a funny story because Coach Johnson, like my first week on the job, comes by my desk and um, he got hired kind of late. I want to say it was late April, maybe. And um, he asked me if I'd ever done any scheduling. And I, I wanted to be more involved with scheduling. I've always sort of wanted to do that. Um, and I had not done much before. All I'd ever done is like research some potential opponents for one of our assistants. Like literally, this was their record last year. This was their RPI type of stuff, really basic stuff. But I told coach, I was like, yeah, I've done a little. I, I helped out some with that. And he said, great, you're handling scheduling. And I was excited, but I was terrified. So um, I ended up, because he was new, he was happy to let me handle it. And so I, I ended up taking on a few more responsibilities because of that and uh, specifically scheduling, which I really enjoyed and learned a lot from.
0: Okay. Uh, before we move on to like HD intelligence and, and leaving coaching, Mm -hmm. uh, the ops role is, is a hard, it's a hard job and there's a lot of stuff you got to do. And it's a, it's, it's a different job depending on what level you're at. So being an ops guy at Alabama is way different than being an ops guy at Alabama Mm A&M. Um, what is your, what did you find to be like the best advice or the best thing that you learned for you to get through the job?
1: That's a really, really good question. Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, and this may be kind of the obvious answer, but you have to know your coach. You have to know what you who you're working for. And so, um, like there was an adjustment period for me because uh, yeah. having worked for Anthony for for five years and knowing his personality and how he operated, uh, there were certain things I took for granted at that point. And then when Coach Johnson took over, um, it took me a while to adjust. Like I'll give you one example of how they're different and had, and had to learn some lessons the hard way. But Coach Grant is a d- deliberate um, decision maker. He really thinks things through. He's extremely thoughtful. And that might mean he he might take a couple of days to to answer a question or make a decision. But once the, de, once the decision is made, it's made. And, you know, as the ops guy, you're waiting a lot of times on your coach to make an, to give you an answer and then you can kind of run with it. Right. And that's how we operated with coach Grant with coach Johnson. I had to learn the hard way that just because he said he wanted to do something or threw something out there, didn't mean he was 100% committed to it. He's more of an idea guy, collaborative, let's spitball. So there were a few times when he came by and said, hey, Colton, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And I said, yes, sir. And I started doing it. And then he came back a couple of days later. I don't want to do that. Let's do something else. And I'd already done it all. And um, so you really had to learn. uh, Communication was big too, right? Is your coach the kind of guy who leaves his office door open, you pop in and ask him, do you have to think about when the right time to approach him is? Is there maybe an assistant on the staff that you could go to that the coach would trust enough to where you guys can just work this out without bothering him, especially if it's in season, what matters to your head coach, right? Some head coaches really care about what's on the menu at pregame meal. Other coaches could care less. So just learning your head coach is probably the thing I would say the most. And then if I had to give another kind of secondary answer, it would be don't, don't underestimate the importance of developing relationships within the athletic department. Um, I think when you're, when you work with a sport like men's basketball, that tends to be one of the higher profile sports on a, on a campus and you know, glamorous is probably too strong a word, but you kind of feel like you're important, right? In the grand scheme of things, there there can be a tendency to look at the other people in your athletic department, whether it's facilities or ticketing or compliance or, you know, sports marketing and, and kind of have this attitude, like they work for us. Right, but a, you never, you're always going to accomplish more by bringing those people along, making them feel valued and respected and a part of the team than you are like approaching them with that attitude. And B, a lot of those folks don't stay in those roles forever, right? And they'll they'll eventually move on to they they want to climb the ladder just like you. So um, I would say that would be the, the the second
0: piece of advice or the second thing I learned yeah that's such good advice and such a common mistake in this industry uh i feel like i've been guilty of it um but yeah the really good programs and the really good athletic departments have that relation you know interconnected buy-in from every department and it's more collaborative than it is like one person serving the other that's right um i was gonna ask you about that like my experience uh, being in the ops role at Mississippi state was awesome because I did get to be behind the curtain a little bit. And I was in those executive meetings once a month where you're in there with all the athletic directors and assistant Mm -hmm. ABs. you're in there with the head of each department and they're talking about high level stuff that like, I was just in there like, what, what, like they're talking about ESPN college game day is going to be on campus. How we're going to, navigate uh you know whatever uh football games baseball games parking situations tv contracts the amount of money we're going to bring in from the sec network just things that were like so above my pay grade uh but i was fortunate just to kind of you know be in those meetings and represent our program in there uh did you kind of get that i mean you're at alabama one of the biggest athletic departments especially because of football right Uh, in the country what was that like a lot of things that you just said really resonate with my experience
1: it was um you know at first when I came in as a volunteer I didn't even know that stuff was going on I was completely unaware and uh, uninvited in terms of those meetings but you know sticking around a little longer and and we had a lot of turnover so Alabama is a big time athletic department and so you know we had a lot of kind of sport oversight deputy deputy excuse me deputy ADs can't talk right now um associate athletic director types who moved on right to go be the ad at tennessee or to go be the ad at west virginia or to go be the ad at southern miss and um there was a gap there where we didn't have a sport oversight and i was i wasn't really filling that role but when it came to basketball specific things i kind of had to fill that role so one example was when the sec held their annual meetings for all the um know sport oversight of men's basketball representatives to go. One year we didn't really have anybody to send and I got sent. So my, you know, I'm in the SEC sitting in a room with 15, 16 people, and it's two high-level folks from the SEC and then, you know, a dozen other folks representing their schools, but they're 20 years ahead in their career than where I am. They're like the number two at their school. They're been in athletic administration a long time. And so I'm sitting in there, really don't know what's going on. But just the opportunity like you said to learn to listen to get a peek behind the curtain was really really beneficial beneficial for me and it gave me a lot more respect and appreciation for what administrators have to do (laughs) you know um because when you're a coach sometimes you think the administrator's role is he just handles your they he or she just handles your sport and they're the ones who say no when you ask for things but Really, when you actually see what they're doing uh, and what's on their plate, it's it's pretty impressive. So,
0: yeah, I got yeah. to do some of that, and I was really grateful for it. Yeah, the amount of planning that goes into those events is unreal. That's right. unreal. Um, you, you, you got to give us some insight on Alabama football. Like, Nick Saban was he? You got any Saban stories? Was he uh, in the cafeteria no. all the time, just hanging out? I can't imagine that was the case. No, I got I got a couple. Um,
1: You know, I I, uh, didn't have a ton of interaction, but when I did have interaction with football, now some of those guys on the football staff I got to know pretty well, and play pickup basketball with uh, with some of those coaches back in the day, and and, um, you know, get to know some of them, and it's it's fun to get to know those guys because a lot of them really like basketball. Here, actually, I I got two two kind of saving stories. So the first is, and this has been on college game day and they've written articles about it. So I'm not breaking news here, but he loves, he loves basketball and they have a noontime basketball league that they, um, they play like in this really narrow window of about three weeks. I think it's post signing day before summer workouts start. It's in the spring and, um, coach Saban picks, you know, the other nine guys that come to play. He's, he picks the team. And he's a commissioner, he's a point guard, and they go out there and they play. And uh, a lot of times they would need to come, like, use our practice gym if, like, cheerleading was on the main floor or something. So the football ops guy would always go through me for that. And so I, I sort of held the keys to whether or not Saban's Noontime League was going to have a place to play or not, which was kind of fun. And then sometimes I'd stand around and watch him, which was, which was fun. But I'll tell you what really impressed me, though, the, the second story, is um, as busy as he is, when we would have recruits – and especially like in-state recruits, you can imagine like it's a big deal to get a chance to meet Nick Saban. So like two guys that are on the team in Alabama right now, Herb Jones and Alex Reese stick out in my mind for some reason. They they were uh, on their official visits the same weekend. And so it was late in the fall and they were going to come in and watch football game, watch basketball practice, you know, meet with all the different people on campus and hopefully commit to Alabama, right? But part of that weekend itinerary And, you know, as an ops guy, like putting together that itinerary and talking to everyone and making sure everything's lined up, that's part of my job, right? That's what the Dobo has to do. But part of that itinerary is they go over and watch a little football practice on on Friday, the walkthrough, and then afterwards they get to meet Coach Saban. And sometimes it would be up in his office and sometimes it would be on the sideline. But um, a lot of times I would be like the escort. I'd be showing them around. And so I had a chance, I don't know, half dozen times, maybe more than that to go take recruits up to his office or to meet uh, with him and these recruits on the side of the football field. And I would say like, without exception, every single time he walks over the the recruits and their families get completely awestruck. Uh, they just clam up. They don't know what to say. And so, but, but he's been in that situation a hundred times. So he does a great job of, of leading the conversation and talking about how much he loves basketball. And, you know, he's buddies with Shaq from when he was, down coaching the Dolphins and Shaq was with the heat and talk about, you know, how he and Shaq used to joke around and, you know, he's incredibly effective at, at communicating with these guys and their families and talking about how great Alabama is and how much support the fans give the sports teams and all that. So um, that was, I felt really lucky as part of my job to be able to go in there and watch him kind of at work. If that makes sense, kind of watch him recruit. And I was just sitting there. I didn't say a word, right. I'm just here to, take these guys when they're supposed to leave, bring them there. Um, but it was really fun to watch him because he's he's incredible at it. He does a really great job.
0: I, we got to go back to the pickup games. Give me the scattering report. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny. He uh, I, I watched him play, and I've also heard him talk about how much he likes to play. Um, Don't go really, easy on him now, Colton. No, he tells recruits, and I believe it. Because think about what's on his plate and everything he has going on. He still makes time to go play pickup in his sixties. I mean, you have to love the game. You're not doing that if you don't love the game. Um, but he talks about how much he loved to play in high school and how, you know, if he could have played any sport that would have been basketball and all this. Um, no, uh, scouting report wise, uh, he plays point, you know, he checked the ball up. He, uh, I think he knows how to play the game. It's usually past the wing, cut through. There's some movement there. The ball moves around. You know, I do think there's a, a, a rule that you're not supposed to block his shot. So I think, you know, he's able to, to get his shots off. But no, I mean, that, I think he knows how to play, man. He's been playing a long time. Does he have a good stroke?
0: Can he shoot it at all? Yeah, he can shoot it. So, uh, Dabo, when I was at Clemson, was the wide receivers coach. Yep. And during my, the end of my first year, he transitioned to head coach. But Dabo plays every single day at lunchtime. They have their, their noonball ball crew, which is great games. It was great runs. And, uh, but Dabo, shoot, he shoots it. He's a shooter. He's a volume shooter, volume shooter. But he's impressive, man, because he's like so regimented, like right. he's in there from 12 to like 1250 every single day. And if his team loses, he's on the sidelines. He's probably not anymore. I imagine now that he's won a couple national championships, he gets to stay on win or lose, but maybe not. I don't know. Uh, but when he lose, he'd be on the side doing pushups and sit-ups. Like that was his time to get his workout in that he had scheduled into his day. And no matter what happened on the court, like he was going to get his sweat in, uh, when you need to release, like
1: you, you need to exercise, you need to get out there. And I think when you have a really demanding job, uh, where you're, especially if you're sitting around you're making decisions, your mind's going all day. It's even more important to have that something like that built in. You just for That's your right. own physical and mental health. One last story. I, I didn't mean to take, you know, 20 minutes talking about Saban's hoops, but this is the good stuff, man. Um, so w- the chaplain Nobody wants
0: to hear about your coaching. We want to hear Nick. Yeah. Saban. No one wants to hear about
1: my analytics company. It's, yeah. that's boring. <laughs> Let's talk about Nick Saban playing hoops. Um, so uh, our chaplain, great guy. He's still there at Alabama. A guy named Scotty Hollins um, is uh he's a chaplain for football and for basketball and does a phenomenal job. And uh, Scotty and I got to be good friends because obviously he worked with our team for nine years and I, you know, he and I spent a lot of time together. But um, Scotty got recruited one day out of the blue to co- go play noontime hoops, you know, because it was it was the same guys every day. But for some reason, either they had someone leave the staff or someone couldn't make it one day. And Scotty got brought in and Scotty's a good athlete. He played college football at UAB. You know, he he can hoop it up. He, he's good. And um, he's young, too. He's younger than most of those other guys. And so Scotty's new guy got put on the opposing team the opposing team, meaning not Nick Saban's team, right? And I think they beat Saban's team twice in a row. And Saban just said, all right, we're making a trade and put Scotty on his team. And from that day forward, Scotty was on Coach Saban's team every time and he wasn't allowed to miss noontime basketball. (laughs) So that sort of became, and of course he loved it. You know, that allowed him to build a relationship with coach and with with some of the other guys on staff. But it was funny him telling me the story because I remember he just said, Man, one of the assistants or director of ops called me and just said, hey, you need to come to the gym, bring your basketball shoes. And you're like, all right. And he came and he said, yeah, those first two games, I didn't know you weren't really supposed to go hard. And I just, you know, I was going hard and, you know, I stole the ball from coach a couple of times. I made a couple of threes and we won. And some of these guys were looking at me like I'm going to be in trouble. But what ended up happening, coach just said, hey, you're with me, man.
0: That's awesome. Um, OK. All right. Let's get to your. Uh, let's get to analytics and and let's take us back to your career. <laughs> yeah, let's get uh, back on track. So you mentioned after nine years, uh, you were ready for a new challenge and a change. Um, I'm I'm wondering you you go on to I'm going to give a little spoiler here. You go on to leave and and found help found uh, HD analytics. Uh, I'm sorry, HD Intelligence, an analytics company uh, that assists coaches and programs with their data analytics. That's right. Um, did you how how like into analytics were you? At what point in your tenure at Alabama did you really kind of dive into analytics, uh, whether it be for scouting, scheduling, whatever?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, I was into analytics kind Of, as a concept before I ever got there. So, uh, this is a really common story. Um, but I, when the book Moneyball came out, I read it. It, it blew me away. Like this whole idea, because I I, I grew, grew up as a kid who loved sports and loved math. And I was the kid that took the basement of the card. I wanted to turn it over to the back and look at the stats and, you know, things like averages and, you know, just sl- how do you calculate slugging percentage, stuff like that just always fascinated me. And, um, The book Moneyball sort of opened my eyes that, you know, within the world, and this has been going on a long time. Like now you realize sort of forward thinking coaches and and general managers back in the 50s, 60s, 70s were doing this type of stuff. But I think that book and then that movie really made the idea mainstream. And certainly, you know, if you look at how much analytics has impacted sports, you know, baseball sort of on the front end of that wave than basketball. We've seen a tremendous change in the NBA over the past decade. And I think right now we're in the midst of one in football. And I know soccer, I'm not as big into some other sports that I know are going through the same thing. But all that to say, that was the whole idea there was in my mind. But I I didn't know much about what that looked like in the game of basketball. And so when I got to Alabama, I some point that first year or two, you know, learned about Ken Palm. Right. So Kenpom.com. Ken dot com. Ken Palm Roy runs that site, for those of you who don't know, and just tons of really, really useful, advanced data on college basketball. And he's got an archive that goes back pretty far and just really detailed data on every team. So once I stumbled upon that site, it was like I couldn't get enough. And then at some point I read the book Basketball on Paper by Dean Oliver, um, who's Dean's really like the godfather of basketball analytics. He's our he's our Bill James in a way. And a lot of what Ken did is built on concepts that Dean pioneered and Dean Oliver came and spoke to the business school at Alabama and I went and got a chance to meet him. He signed my book and had a conversation with him. I think he's an assistant with the wizards now, if I'm not mistaken, he might, he might be with a different team, but he's an, he,
0: he is now. Is that, the right? wizard.
1: So, so anyway, once I discovered those two things and then some other blogs and hoop math was, was a site that came along not that long after that I spent a lot of time on, but you just, just sort of became self-taught. And and the more I, um, the more time I spent, you know, messing around on Ken Palm or, you know, re- reading chapters in Dean's book, the more the stuff started to click for me. And so when I really started to put that into practice would have been maybe my second or third year at Alabama when, um, and Co- coach Brandon, John Brandon, he's, just, he's the head coach of Cincinnati now, great coach he was one of our assistants at Alabama and he had given me some, some advice my very first day on the job. He was like, you know, Colton, coach Grant keeps a circle tight. So for him to like bring you in and give you a role is, is a big deal. And if you want to stick around, my advice to you is to attack and expand your responsibilities. Those four words just rang in my, even to this day, I hear those words attack and expand your responsibilities. And so, um, one of the areas where I thought maybe I could add some value was by sort of being the analytics guy. And this would have been 2011, 2012, probably. So when that really wasn't as much a thing as it is today. And so what I ended up doing is every time we were getting ready to play a game, in addition to the scouting, the traditional scouting report, uh, you know, I would go through and I would type up like a two to three page analytics scouting report, look, you know, based on Ken Pom and hoop math, and just drop it on the assistant coach's desk and it was funny because i probably did that for a few weeks before anyone ever said anything to me and i think john brandon came to me and he's like all right you've been giving me these for three weeks i don't know what this stuff means what's efg what what's assist rate what does that even mean and so you know like with anything there's a learning curve there but you know he's a smart guy he was open to it kind of explained the stuff to him and he saw where it could make him a little bit better as a coach in terms of preparation. And eventually Antoine Petway and Tony Pujol and some of our other assistants kind of caught on as well. And I knew that I was adding some value when, you know, sometime probably in my third year there when I'd been doing it for a while, if I was late getting a scout to a coach, they would come to me and say like, where's the scout, where's the analytics? You know, I need that. And that made me feel good because they actually valued what I did. And, uh, sometime shortly thereafter, coach Grant, um, fully invested and jumped on board as well. And, um, you know, I remember having a conversation with him where he brought me in his office and shut the door and sat me down and I was like, am I in trouble? Like what's going on? And he said, Colton, like, I know you've been doing these reports, like, let's talk about these because, uh, I think he maybe had had a conversation with, with Billy Donovan at the time who, who had talked about analytics. And so, um, You know, coach, he actually said, I'm going to call this Ken Palm guy. And he called him on the phone and Ken answered, you know, just called him out of the blue. And we put him on speakerphone and they had a conversation. But uh, from that point forward, that was one of my roles with the program. And so the more I did that, the more I realized, like, there's value here. And uh, I don't know exactly when, but this germ of an idea began to grow in my mind, which was, you know, I, I bet there aren't many staffs out there that are utilizing analytics to its fullest extent. And there's a lot of value here that, you know, if I was in ever in a position to do this outside of maybe I'm not working in Alabama anymore, maybe I can help coaches start a company. And so I had this germ of an idea back then, and it just kind of grew and grew. And what really helped make it a reality was meeting my partner. So my partner that I mentioned earlier, Matt Dover is, um, he's got a master's degree from Harvard in statistics. He's taught college level statistics He's worked as a data scientist and data consultant for a decade now, mostly dealing with politics. But he's just, he's got every tool in his toolbox when it comes to data science. So, you know, to, to have the idea like I did is one thing to actually sort of build out everything that you would need to run a company to provide this type of data and reports and expertise. Um, I couldn't do that on my own. So, his skill set and my skill set, I think, complement one another's. But once, Anyway, I'm giving you a long-winded answer here, but Matt reached out to us um, in about 2016, 2017 range to specifically talk about scheduling. And by that time, I was doing a lot of scheduling work for Coach Johnson and his staff. And the the first thing we ever hired Matt to do was to help us schedule a little more effectively. And so uh, I was introduced to kind of his concepts of maximizing the value of your schedule through analytics. And um, we had a lot of success doing that. Uh, it basically is the reason we got in the tournament in 2018 uh, and Alabama hadn't been to the tournament in six years. So that was a big deal for us. We won a game. It was a very successful season. So I experienced firsthand kind of the, the benefit you can reap from applying analytics in an effective way. And so Matt and I worked together in that capacity for a couple of years. And then at some point I told him about this idea I had and said, would you ever be interested in, know starting this company that does scheduling that does performance analytics that helps teams with all these different areas and you know he was interested so it it took us a while to put all put everything together but that that's kind of how it grew and and came to be
0: i remember talking to you at the final four at our rising coaches final four party uh i'm not sure where but i remember talking to you right before you left coaching to start hd intelligence and uh we were talking about the scheduling piece and you were telling me, you know, uh, comparing, you know, Alabama with some other teams that you're like, who, you know, guess guess in this year, like which team was better. Now, guess which team made the tournament. Mm-hmm. And like you were able to show me on paper, like how impactful scheduling the right way. And of course, all programs want to schedule their way into the tournament. And there's a million different philosophies uh, of how to schedule and the right type of opponents, but you guys actually like put it into practice, uh, for several years at Alabama, right?
1: Yeah. For, for two years. And then, you know, we've continued working with that staff ever since. So we're on our fourth year, you know, in total of working with Alabama. Um, but yeah, on the scheduling piece, you know, when, when it's a pretty easy concept, The, the difficulty is in executing it, And I'll explain that in a second. But the the concept behind scheduling is really simple. Like what I tell folks is we only use kind of two data sets to help teams schedule more effectively. The first is um, an algorithm that is predictive of how uh, the committee behaves. Right. So that's a fancy way of saying bracketology. Right. Can you predict how the committee weighs and compares and makes decisions on these different teams? And there's folks been doing that for 10, 15, 20 years. And there's bracketologists popping up all over the place. So that's kind of a more of an established data set to get your hands around. Uh, And Matt, my partner is a bracketologist. He does a great job with that stuff. The second data set, which is trickier, is trying to project how good teams are going to be, right? So it's one thing to know that the selection committee values quadrant one wins this much and quadrant two wins this much, and they'll punish you for a quadrant four loss to this degree. It's good to know all that, but if you can't accurately project how good teams are going to be, that doesn't really help you. So we've put a lot of time into those projections. So the way we approach it is, like I said, it's simple. We know what the committee is looking for. They value these certain things to this degree, right? It's a formula, basically. But we also have worked really hard to have accurate projections. And no projections are perfect because you're trying to project the future, and that's hard. But you know, we have a preseason ranking of every team. We have sort of a probabilistic model of the percent chance each team is going to finish in a given quadrant, given that the games at home or away or neutral, like we we take all that into account. And so then when teams hire us, we're basically saying, OK, you know, Adam Gordon University, you think you're going to have a good team this year? You want to maximize your chances of getting in? You want to maximize your seed? Well, here are the benchmarks your, your schedule needs to hit. You need to play this many quadrant one and two opponents. We want to have, you know, this many or fewer quadrant three, quadrant four opponents. We're going to do analysis of your of your conference schedule, because obviously, you know, you're going to play those games. And then we're going to help you put the rest of your schedule together based on our projections so that, you know, we're going to maximize the value of your schedule. And at the end of the day, all we're trying to do is we're trying to put you in a situation where on Selection Sunday, the rating you receive from the selection committee is superior to the actual strength of your team, right? It's superior to your net or your Ken rating. And the terminology we use for that is overseeded, right? Is your rank in the committee's, you know, seed list, is it better than your net, for example? So that that's the whole concept behind what we do. And, and we've had really good success with it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, uh, I lost my train of thought for a second I knew where I was going to take it And then uh, it escaped me But Colton uh, Talk about um, What you guys do In addition to the scheduling piece You guys also do a lot on the scouting side um, and, I, and I think this is kind of where You guys are really busy right now With the season right. Quickly approaching Which we didn't know that's right Exactly how that was going to play out um, Talk about how you guys assist on that front yeah, so the scheduling
1: is is a piece of what we do. Um but really the core of our business is what we just call performance analytics and uh you know, without trying to go on uh forever and ever about it and describe every little thing, we're trying to uh, to do the work of an a really high-level internal analytics department. So the the analogy we use is that at the NBA level, all 30 teams have these fully staffed and funded in-house analytics departments, right? That, you know, help with everything. Every aspect of the franchise is touched by the work that those guys and girls are doing. So we know that most colleges can't afford to build that out internally. You know, the infrastructure and the money and everything may not be there. So hiring us as a partner, we want to try to accomplish that for you. And so for us, you know, what we say is we want to help teams use better data, Okay, that's important, right? Are you, are you look, going to the right sources for your data? We wanna help you use better data. We also wanna help you use data better. So are you doing the most with what
0: you have? Ah, oh, clever play on words. Eh? Yeah,
1: yeah, it's pretty good, right? What you're doing. And, then, and then we want, I mean, and this is the simplest, but the third, the third point there is we wanna help you win more games. And we're really upfront about that. Like, we're not here to have fun and to just do a bunch of math and send you a bunch of pretty spreadsheets. Like at the end of the day, is it helping you? perform better. And that could take the form of our scouting reports are a little better, or, you know, this lineup analysis we have is helping us put the right guys on the floor together. Um, You know, um, I'm trying to think of another example, shot charts. Um, We even have transfer analytics where we have a database with all the players in the country in it. They're, they're ranked and they're rated. And when transfer season hits, our clients have access to that. So maybe you can build a better roster through
0: smart you know, use of analytics. But, um, you know, yeah, I, heard, I heard something recently where muscle Man, who obviously does as good a job as anybody on the transfer market, mm-hmm. was kind of onto that transfer analytics thing uh, you know, it, to his Nevada days. It's a huge question, right? Is w- it, if you're in the transfer market, and you're
1: looking to take, take a guy. Um, how do you project a player from a low level who might be moving up to let's use Arkansas as an example to, to an sec level, you know and how do you compare a guy who played for a really good mid major team but whose numbers weren't great to maybe a guy who played for a bad low major team but had great numbers so that that's where you know it's easy right if a guy dominates you know in the Big 12 he's probably going to be good no matter where but it, it it's tougher when you're trying to project guys from different levels who maybe are in specific roles that, that are going to change so um yeah we help we try to help coaches with that and um you know, we were able to help our clients last year, um, Alabama, Dayton, Cincinnati, Incarnate Word. We helped able to help those guys sort of navigate that transfer market, I think pretty effectively.
0: Yeah. I was just going to ask you who some of the teams you worked with are. And I love, it's pretty diverse. You know, obviously the first couple you mentioned are high major, Mm -hmm. power five, which, you know, if anyone can afford, you know, uh, extra support, it's them, but then you got Incarnate Word out there as well. So, uh, that leads me to believe that what you guys offer is pretty flexible in terms of affordability. Yeah, no, I mean, we want to be able to work with a men's team or a women's
1: team, uh, where we work with women's basketball teams as well. It's kind of a new, we didn't last year, so that's a change for us. We we're really excited about that opportunity, but, and we really want to be able to work with any level. And so we have some packages that kind of include different services that, uh, are set at different price points for that reason. But, we want to be able to work with incarnate word. You know, those guys are kind of in a rebuild down there, uh, but they're really good coaches and they believe in what we do and we're doing our best to help them. And at the same time, you know, Dayton, who was arguably one of the top two or three best teams in the country last year, you know, we're working with them. The nature of that relationship is a little different, but at the end of the day we're trying to accomplish the same thing. We're, We're trying to help them just, add another tool to their toolbox, right? In terms of analytics, that's going to help them maybe get a competitive advantage.
0: Well, I think the most telling thing and the best testimonial you guys have, uh, I believe every single team that you worked with last year renewed uh, your services. And to do that in this climate with all the budget cuts due to coronavirus, I mean, you got schools laying off people, you got schools furloughing people, cutting sports, And the fact that everyone you worked with last year said, we have to have HDI back on board um, is, is unbelievable. Really a testament to what you guys have been able to do.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah. We felt really good about it. Um, It was a crazy climate and, you know, we weren't even sure if we were going to have a season this year, but um, you know, the core of the, and I've said this since day one, because I understand like college basketball is a pretty small world at the end of the day. And, our our business has to be built on you know repeat customers like forging relationships that are going to be long-term partnerships so uh, it was really important for us to continue to work with those four schools which we're going to do and mm-hmm. obviously add a few more and you know at the end of the day we're never going to be a company that works with 200 schools that's just not our business model right there's a a personal relationship aspect to what we do and a personal touch to what we do that you know we're going to be a smaller company than that but the idea is to find the programs that see the value in what we do that want to partner and hopefully start a relationship that'll last for a while
0: colton where can people find out more information if they're interested in this for their program or they want to learn more what do they do they call you up and and do a consultation or how does it start yeah you can reach out to me um
1: i think our website's at the bottom here if you're watching you can see it if you're listening i guess i should say it it's it's hdintelligence.com so pretty straightforward um, there's a contact page on there. My email address is Colton, C-O-L-T-O-N at hdintelligence.com. Um, you know, I probably won't throw my cell number out here on the pod, but, uh, Adam has it and other folks, I mean, it's, it's not a state secret or anything. So reach out to me any way you want. Um, we'd be happy to talk to anybody about, about what you do. And one thing I will say, cause I know you have a lot of listeners. It's not just division one coaches that listen, you know, we do get inquiries from, Uh, division two, division three schools, and we're open to working with those programs. So we just kind of have to figure out what's the best fit. But, you know, if you're a coach at a a division two or division three level, men's or women's, we'd love to talk to you also.
0: Yeah. And another place you can kind of get a little sneak peek, especially on the scheduling front is uh, on the scheduling board, the basketball traveler scheduling board, which, you know, every, everybody who does scheduling, references and posts on there, uh, looking for games. And that's a new feature right this year that they, they added a column, uh, presented by HDI, where you guys just feature a little taste of, you know, percent of points coming back. What what else is on there? Some, yeah. Some- mi- percent of minutes
1: returning it. percent of points returning. Uh, I think we have their three year net slash RPI average. Uh, and then I think we may have the previous year's net, you know, just some, of inf- the reason that stuff is on there is we want to add value to the coaches using that board. And I knew from my time as a scheduling person that, you know, when you're getting ready to play a team, those are the stuff you're always going to look up, right? You want to know who's returning, how good were they last year? You know, what's their three year history. So you get a little taste there. The the other place you could go is, is Twitter right at HD intelligence. Um, you know, feel free to follow us or go scroll through all tweets. We have some graphics and some stuff up there that might give you a feel for what we do, but
0: yeah. Man, that scheduling board, that would have saved me so much time. Every time I had to find a potential opponent, I'd have to calculate all that stuff, take it to my boss, get the approval or the, the yay or nay, and then go back to the team. So man, I well, wish I wish that yeah. was around years ago good well
1: I, I we've gotten really good response i think people enjoy having that data there you know the, the real valuable data which we don't put on the board because it's for it's for our clients just to be honest but the real valuable data is what does this team project to be this year right and and that's again that kind of goes back to what i was saying earlier about that data set of projections um and, you know, the teams that work with us, the 10 or so teams that work with us on scheduling, when when they have a question about a game, they usually just call me and say, hey, I'm looking at team A, team B, which of these games has, has a better chance to end up in quadrant two. Right. And, the, and that's where the real value is, is if you can if you can project. So, um, yeah, but I think what's on the scheduling board does save folks a good amount of time.
0: Uh, so, yeah, yeah, feel free to check us out any of those ways well colton i appreciate you being on with us again the website is hdintelligence.com make sure you check them out Uh, fill out the form talk to colton about how they can help your program look this stuff helps you win uh you know even if it helps you win three two three four more games a year that is a huge difference uh as any coach knows uh in any given season so make sure you check them out and colton thanks for being on Thanks, Adam. I really enjoyed it. What's up, podcast fans? I want to share some information about one of our partners, Lucio Sports. The team at Lucio has built an integrated platform of coaching productivity and player development apps that are being used by some of the best basketball programs around the globe, helping everyone from NBA champions to youth development academies. Their innovative and competitive memorization games make it so much easier for new players and staff members to remotely get caught up to speed. With animated playbooks, drill libraries, player development plan- planning and monitoring, engaging game plans and scouting reports, predictive play drawing, their content services team, and more, Lucio Sports has got you covered. From players to coaches to support staff and executives, use Lucio Sports to securely keep everyone in your organization on the same page with simple on-demand access to your team's entire knowledge base. For more information, check out luciosports.com. That's L-U-C-E-O sports.com.